Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Simon Ford at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning, and please be seated and welcome again. Well, today we're coming to the end of a series, the series that we've entitled Word of Prophets, and we're going to be finishing with the book of Malachi and the prophet Malachi. Now, Malachi's name actually means messenger, so pretty appropriate name for a prophet. Uh, but Malachi was the last of the prophets in the Old Testament, and of course the book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And his voice, God's voice that came through Malachi, uh, that was the last time the people of Israel heard God's voice through a prophet for 400 years. So there's a big gap. And it's worth noting that 85% of the verses in Malachi are direct words from God. So they're words, God's own words. And the background to Malachi is pretty much the same as Haggai that we heard last week, except much worse. Malachi prophesied around about 100 years after the people had returned from exile, from Babylon, back to Jerusalem, and things were not good. It was around about 400 BC and the temple and its walls had been rebuilt but they were nothing like they were in David's day. There was no palace, there was no king because Israel were under Persian rule. The people were in this terrible state of disillusionment, of doubt and despair. And this is what they were saying. This whole God thing, we've been back now 100 years, where is the Messiah? Is it all worth it? This kingdom that was promised, that was going to come to bring peace and justice, where is it? So the people were really saying, why bother? Why bother about God anymore? And that's the way in which they were living. And there may be some among us this morning who are saying exactly that, why bother? But see, the people of Israel proved to be as unfaithful uh, to God as their ancestors Before the exile, their religious practices became very much formal. It was a formality. Uh, They didn't love God. God wasn't their first love. In fact, they doubted that God even loved them. That's how far away they were. They still went to the temple, but only tradition, ritual, no reality. There was this great indifference between both the ceremonial law and the moral law. They didn't really care. They're asking, you know, what's the minimum amount that we need to do? What's the minimum amount of time we need to spend at the temple? What's the minimum condition of animals that we need to give to sacrifice? What's the minimum amount of money we can give? The priests were corrupt. They saw their role as a job to earn some money. That's about it. They neglected the scriptures. They didn't care about the people. They just kept things going in this kind of careless manner. And the people were saying, why bother? anymore about God and of course when you say why bother about God it's not long before you start saying why bother about godliness and the impact on the nation is significant and it was and it like today it not only impacts our lives but it impacts the lives of the next generations and the next generations might live out of the benefits of the past that you know, the God in the past, but soon they'll be saying, as they were, what is truth? 
for what is truth. Truth is really doing what feels right. And then it's not long before you're saying, well, let's define our own morality, our own values, what we think is right and what we think is wrong. When God disappears, goodness disappears. It's a sad state of affairs. And the people were in that state. They weren't really bothered. They were bothered about themselves only, had the minimum amount they could give. They just wanted to work, to earn money for themselves and to ignore God. That's the state of the nation. Sounds a bit like our day. They were saying, why be faithful to God? Which soon became, why be faithful to my wife? And so Jerusalem and Judea were inundated with abandoned wives and children. Family breakdowns of all sorts. And when the consequences, of course, of unfaithfulness and injustice are so evident, they look to blame someone. And so they blamed God, saying, he's not bothered about us. So we're not bothered about him. See, they were saying, God has stopped loving us. God's abandoned us, and so we might as well get on with life and do, make the most of it, the best we can, out of what we have. So Malachi was God's messenger into this situation. The nation was polluted with corrupt priests, false worship, unfaithfulness, divorce was rife, failure to tithe, arrogance, injustice and social problems of all sorts. Now whether you saw the West Australian newspaper yesterday, the headlines in the newspaper, it said, Welcome to Sin City, referring to Perth. There has been, and the, the article outlined the reality, that moral standards, where are they? They've gone in our city. Um, And I think that probably is very true. See, the Lord in his grace calls his people to turn from their disobedience to return to God. And then he remained silent for 400 years. He left them to it, to actually live their lives out according to their own will. And that's what God does because of who we are. And so their own choices were worked out and the consequences of those choices. And it seemed as though God didn't care. But the reality was that they didn't care about God. And the Lord loved his people. He loved them. He argued with them. Sorry, he loved them, but they argued with him. They opposed him. They blamed him. And the situation only got worse until the coming of John the Baptist where God again communicated with his people through a prophet's prophet's voice. And we're going to be looking at the last two chapters of Malachi. And our reading today comes from those last two chapters. I think Carol's reading for us. Thanks, Carol. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve the Lord. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. 
and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Thanks, Carol. What an incredibly difficult scripture in many ways for us to come to grips with, but it's God speaking his truth. And while our focus is going to be on those last verses of Malachi, the previous chapters just show us just how Israel questioned and how they contradicted every word that God spoke to them. You know, it's a bit like an adolescent youth, you know, why, what do you mean, why not, don't talk to me, I don't want to know about it, don't, don't, you don't understand, you just don't get it God, you don't care about us, you know, all this sort of talk is what was coming out of the mouths of the children of Israel, and the Lord would make a claim or an accusation, Israel disagreed and questioned God's word, and there were quite a number of them through the text, and I just want to briefly mention a few, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? You've shown contempt for my name, says the Lord, but you say, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar, but you say, how have you defiled? How have we defiled you? You've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Or where is the God of justice? Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how? You've robbed me. But you say, how have we robbed you? You've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, but you say, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve the Lord. See, there was absolutely no fear of God, none at all. There was no fear of the Lord, no honour of his name, no revering of his name which is similar to what it is in the day that we live. But the reality is that God is God and nothing will ever change that reality. He is the Lord God Almighty. And this constant questioning and denying of reality to people's hearts, you see, they were blinded by their own sin. They refused to see things as they really were. They were cynical. They were defaming God's name right across the community. The same attitude, sadly, that we do see today, even in the church, the kind of doing church, but, but your heart isn't really in it. You know, the people were sulking, really. That's what they were doing. It's destructive. We, sadly, we see it in marriages, we see it in families, we see it in the church, and its worst state is this refusal to speak or refusal to admit wrong, a refusal to seek reconciliation. It's a terrible state. And in the first three verses in our reading, 
uh, which come on the screen, Israel speaks arrogantly against God. They say it's futile to serve God. What do we gain by following you, God? This is what sin does. It turns us in on ourselves. You become the centre of the universe and God is sidelined. And it's about what profits me, what am I going to get out of this for myself? Not the central question, which is, how is my relationship going with the Lord God Almighty, the one who I have to do with, the one who's given me life? How is my relationship with him? In the next three verses, God says, there will be the faithful Praise his name. There will be the faithful who rightly fear the Lord, honour his name, and there, and there will be this final division the Lord talks about between the righteous and the wicked, between the sheep and the goats. Then we come to God's final words in the Old Testament, Malachi 4. We're going to focus on Malachi 4. It's really, these verses are a kind of conclusion to the book of Malachi, and it points to God's response, actually, to an earlier question in the book, an earlier dispute where the people said, where is the God of justice? And God said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. That's Malachi 3.1. So in Malachi 4, the first three verses, God completes the story by saying, justice will come. Don't worry. Justice will come. There will be a final day of judgment and it'll come. And the justice that you are seeking will come, but not before, but after I send my messenger and after I come to you in person. How beautiful is that? The grace of God. The Lord will come first not to judge, is what he's saying in Malachi, but to save. And then he'll return, and his return will be the final day of judgment, and the wicked will be dealt with. But for the faithful, the day of the Lord will be a cause for great joy, we read, like the rays of the rising sun in the morning, like a new day that brings healing and wholeness and life and joy. And all that's destructive and harmful will be dealt with will be consumed, the word says. See, God is love, which means he will ultimately deal with everything that is against you, everything that harms you, everything that causes suffering and death, he will deal with. But God delays his judgment because of his grace and mercy. He always gives time for repentance And the Lord's self-revelation to Moses, I think, is very significant. I read it often. This is what the Lord said in terms of revealing himself to Moses. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished. The time will surely come. You see, sin is living apart from God, independently to God. And so the wages of sin is death. Well, they have to be, because God is the source of life. 
How can we live apart from him forever? It's God's grace that's with us. See, if, if God, if we, if God, if, if every time we sin, we died in that instant. See, God always gives time for grace. God always gives space for repentance. That's his heart. See, the fact that the sun is shining outside this morning as though there's nothing wrong in the world is God's grace. His grace, only his grace and his mercy. And often we want immediate justice for the wicked, but we only want grace for ourselves. We need to be careful, God's timing. But in God, grace and justice come wonderfully together in God. They come together. And uh, you might ask, well, how do you reconcile this day of judgment and the wrath of God with a God of love? Well, I've touched on it, but God is love. And because he is love, he will in the end deal with all that's destructive, all that's harmful, all that is damaging. See, our faithful, loving creator is both judge and saviour. Do you see that? And at the same time. See, if God doesn't judge all that's against us, he can never fully save us. But look at his grace and mercy in the process. We must appreciate the enormity of what it is to be a human being, to be made in the image of God, to be like God. See, God doesn't force us to do anything because God is never forced. We're in that image, that same image of God. We're free to choose So we have great responsibility for we face the consequences of our choices. The Lord will not dehumanise us in any way. He will not make us puppets or force us, make us robots to do what he wants. We're human beings made in the image, but we've gone astray. We've gone astray. And it's nothing other than his love and grace that wins us and draws a free will response. It's his love that draws that free will response. We might choose, but it's his love that draws it out of us. If we only listen to him, see his final, God's final judgment of sin, see it makes way for the coming kingdom of righteousness and peace and harmony where there will be no more mourning. Or crying or pain, no more death, for the older things will pass away at that point, and there will be unhindered fullness of life. And that's God's heart that we move into unhindered fullness of life. Let's look closely then at the time we have at these last three verses, um, which form a conclusion not only actually to the book of Malachi but to the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and to the prophets. See, God's final prophetic word in the Old Testament points back to Moses. He was the first prophet. And it points forward to Elijah, the Elijah to come in the New Covenant. Moses and Elijah were significant men in the Old Testament, two of the greatest men in the Old Testament. Moses led the people out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, We call that the first exodus in Egypt. And then through Moses, God's people, or through Moses, the people received 
the Creator's instructions for living, the law. And so God's covenant way of living came through Moses. And the law really is God's heart written on stones of tablet. It's God's heart, the law. He loves it. And he'll never put it away. Elijah was the first prophet to say, you've broken the covenant. First to confront law-breaking and immorality in Israel, so he's a representative of all the prophets that follow in a long line of prophets who God sent to call the people back to himself and to a covenant way of living. So this conclusion in Malachi shows that, that the Torah and the prophets shows them as kind of a unified story that then points to the future, to a new covenant without nullifying anything of the past. Israel were redeemed by God through Moses, but they rebelled. Their hearts were hardened. They were disobedient. The scriptures tell us the truth about the condition of their heart and the scriptures tell us the truth about the condition of our heart. Sinful. Wicked above what we understand. There's a power at work under sin in our lives. And the scriptures also show us They anticipate a day when God is going to send a new Elijah to prepare the way for a new Moses and to prepare the way for a second Exodus to heal our hard and broken hearts. See, this is the good news, not only for us, not only for Israel, for us, but for the world. And so God's announcing in Malachi the great promise that one day he will send a messenger and then he will show up personally on the earth to confront evil and death and all that's against us on our behalf he'll do it for us and bring healing and wholeness and health to bring peace and so God says in verse 4 remember the law of my servant Moses the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb that's Mount Sinai for all Israel to remember the law of Moses was key because God's heart The role of the prophets was to urge the people to keep the law in their minds, in their daily practices, for their own good, for their own well-being. And then after pointing back to Moses, God points forward to to Elijah in verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. You recall God had previously sent Elijah when most had deserted God for other gods. Remember that in the Old Testament? Elijah stood firm for God in calling the people to repentance and to turn back to the Lord, away from their wicked ways. So God in his grace and mercy is now saying to his people that he will send another prophet in the spirit of Elijah to again call these people to repentance, to turn from disobedience before the final day of judgment. See, the last word of the Old Testament is, if you don't listen to Elijah and repent, I'll come and strike the land with total destruction. One more prophet to prepare the way for reconciliation with God and bring family life together. Malachi 3.1 is significant. It's crucial in all of this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The me is God himself, Yahweh. Yahweh to the rescue in human flesh and blood. 
in Jesus. And the messenger that goes before Jesus is John the Baptist. And after God spoke, Israel lived, as I mentioned, as they willed for 400 years before John the Baptist arrives. And he comes with an Elijah-like ministry. It's more Elijah than you might realise. Calling the people to repentance, to turn from their destructive ways. See, John lived an Elijah-like lifestyle. You can match them up. He was dressed the same as Elijah, with the camel's hair and the leather belt. He ate the same food as Elijah, locusts and wild honey. Everything about him marked him out as the man that was fulfilling the prophecy that God had spoken in the book of Malachi. And so the New Testament begins 400 years after Malachi's prophetic prophetic word, and this is what Luke says. He tells us that an angel appears to Zechariah to announce that his wife Elizabeth will bear a son. And he is to name him John. And the angel says he will go before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Just like he said in Malachi. And in Matthew 10, Jesus himself identifies John as the one about whom it was written in the Old Testament. He quotes Malachi 3.1, says, I will send my messenger ahead of you, prepare the way. So Jesus points out the Elijah. And Jesus says to his disciples, and if you are willing to accept it, John is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. This is serious. Let him hear. And Mark begins his gospel um, beautifully. Mark, uh, his first few verses, he begins it with the words of Malachi and he begins with the words of the prophet Isaiah. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Malachi and in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John, was, John wore clothing made of camel's hair, leather belt, round his waist, He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water. But he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God. And of course for Jesus to do that to baptise in the Holy Spirit, he must first deal with that which is against us, sin. And he did on the cross. To take sin upon himself, our sin, and to defeat death, to rise from the dead so the Holy Spirit might have, might be given to give us a new heart. See, the law written on our hearts by the Spirit, not written on Moses' tablets of stone of old, where they could never keep it anyway because of the power of sin in them. They disobeyed the law. They couldn't do it. 
Now God promises his spirit to live within them that they might relate to him and know him. And the prophet Ezekiel foretold, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you from your heart of stone, or remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So it's not surprising that Moses, both Moses and Elijah, as representatives of the law and the prophets appeared at Jesus' transfiguration. Of course they did. There was something coming together that was just amazing. And it's not surprising that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Meaning he's come to embody the law and the prophets as the prophet, priest and king who puts the spirit of the, of the law of life in our hearts that we might live rightly and that we, uh, we might have a way to our father. And of course the Hebrews, Hebrew writer writing to the Hebrews in the New Testament, he said, in the, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his son, the one through whom he made the universe. See, God's last word to us is himself. He is the word. He is the everlasting word. God appearing in human flesh and blood personally to redeem us. There's nothing else that God can give. He's given his all for you and for me. See, God in Jesus come as one of us. This is the thing, as a human being, as one of us. He has stood in our place and he's received the outcome of our sin, which is death. See, we could not and cannot do that ourselves and live. He could and he did. We cannot work out our own salvation, but we receive our salvation by faith alone in Jesus the person that could do that for us. So the overwhelming proof of God's love for you and for me is that he has withheld nothing from us. He's given his all, he's given himself, and he has not dealt with you and I as your sins deserve, but in his grace and in his mercy has made a way where there was no way. And that way is Jesus we're saved by God, through God alone, not of ourselves. And God made Jesus to be sin and knew no sin, so that in him the second Adam, see Jesus was the second man, the second Adam, we might become the righteousness of God. So we come out of the first Adam and into the second Adam that we might be in right relationship with our Father both now and forever. You see, we need to be really plain here. There is no hope in the end for us apart from Jesus. No hope apart from Jesus. And I encourage you this morning to respond to the Lord, to respond to God's love for you in Christ. Just ask the team to come forward. And if you need to repent, 
then turn to him and say whatever you need to say. If you need to return to him, then return. Return to him without delay. See, he's loving arms. This is, we live in the day of grace. God's arms are wide open to receive us. And there is no other name on earth, in heaven, anywhere by which we must be saved. And as we come to this final song, I know that God has spoken. God has spoken to me. And I, I know his heart. I feel his heart. I hear his heart. And I respond to him. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.